Welcome to Know Where to Run with Christopher White. Chris in Tennessee, you're on the air. Go ahead. What's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for tuning in, showing up. I'm glad that you did. If you've got any questions or anything, don't hesitate to write. You can get my email address and all kinds of information like that at the website, which is NowhereToRunRadio.com. And we've got a lot to do today, so I'm just going to jump right in. The first thing I wanted to talk about is an audio clip that I'm about to play. It is from me yesterday answering a bunch of questions about the new age and and different things like that. Really good questions, actually, for an upcoming film project. Now, this is a a guy who I'm also going to feature on my YouTube page later today and put some links on the YouTube video pointing back to his excellent YouTube site. I think he's going to be a really great upcoming filmmaker. And he's working on a project right now that's kind of in the genre of, you know, Keith, Thompson's films, you know, Age of Aquarius and the other kinds of things that uh, Keith has done, the New Age Infiltration of the Truth Movement, or Paul Flynn's The Power Behind the New World Order. Really, that's sort of a new genre that's um, shown up and, you know, probably my favorite genre, but he's working on a film that's in that flavor, in that genre. So I'm going to uh, play this audio of the questions that I was answering that he's going to be using in that uh, film. So, Let's do that first, and I'll talk a little bit more about it on the other side. Okay, the first question, what do I believe the ultimate goal for the New World Order is, and who or what do you believe is behind it? The idea of what the ultimate goal for the New World Order is something that bothered me a lot in my early and really a lot of my research for what the New World Order was as I was learning things like, you know, the stuff in the food and the water and and all the stuff that you learn, you know, the genocide and and the planned population reduction and the mind control and all the stuff that was going on. What did it all mean? What was it leading up to? The control grid, you know, the the cameras and the one world government and the one world economy and, and all the stuff. What did it mean? Because the thing that got me is what what happens if they get it? You know, what happens if they finally control everybody it's a total lockdown new world order 1984 brave new world whatever it actually is that system what then you know is everybody is it all going to just end and everybody sits back and they drink lemonade and say hey we did it guys uh but then the connection to to satanism is really what started to pique my interest early on and that they were theistic you know satanists they really did believe that Satan was God and they they actively worshipped him and received instructions from the spirit world. Uh, That was what tripped me out and to see that network and and every door that was kicked down, you know, an investigation led to somewhere some Satanistic connection. So uh, the the answer to what they what the ultimate goal and the question of who or what do I believe is behind it is the same. that is the Antichrist. The, the system is being built around us. The control grid, the economy, everything is being built to force everyone to worship the Antichrist. That is what this is all about. That That's what makes everything make sense. It's the one component that makes 
everything makes sense. And so what is behind it is a, a spiritual agenda, as it says in Ephesians 6.12. But it's also something that experientially that you can see in the research of the New World Order. Um, that that they are attending rituals, they are receiving instruction from those rituals, and that, that instruction is to do the nuts and bolts things, to create the system, to do this, to to do the, the poisoning or whatever, all the different conspiracies that are a part of that have some sort of mechanism or use in this future world government, world religion, world economy, which has one purpose, isn't to extract the worship of humanity for an ancient cherub. Okay, the second question is, in light of Bailey's second step to the New World Order and the externalization of the hierarchy, quote, the New World Order must be an appro appropriate to a world which has passed through a destructive crisis and to a humanity which is badly shattered by the experience, end quote, do you think the infrastructure being put in place today, the political, economic, military, in other words, what most of us call the New World Order, is going to produce the chaos that Alice Bailey speaks of um, and is necessary before the real New World Order is brought about? Um, what do you think that's going to look like? In other words, are the political, economic, military institutions going to be replaced or simply harnessed and unified by the world teacher and, that the New Age speaks of on the other side of the chaos? Alice Bailey, especially in her book, The Reappearance of the Christ, uh, had another prerequisite or series of prerequisites, but they a lot of them had to do with the idea that there needed to already be a world government in place. In fact, one of her quotes is, quote, First of all, he will come to a world which is essentially one world. His reappearance and his consequent work cannot be confined to one small locality or domain unheard of by the great majority, as was the case when he was here before. So, And she talks specifically in that book about how it's going to be accomplished through the hierarchy, the spiritual beings working with government, you know, organizations, particularly the United Nations. So she has a, a, a twofold vision, but that it's going to basically be a world that is already ready for him in terms of a world government. So I would agree that that the the part of the work that she says is a prerequisite is to build and work on this sort of global government. And that is why they're striving so hard for it is because they believe they have to sort of build the throne for the world teacher kind of thing before he'll show up. Um, the chaos thing is another sort of part of what she talks about is that she recognizes that none of the work that she can do or that the, the group of world servers, as she calls them, or the seed groups, they can never do enough preparation, whether it's spiritual preparation or physical building of the system preparation to actually make any of this work. Um, consistently throughout the book, The Reappearance of the Christ, she talks about how he will inaugurate the world religion. He will essentially provide the, the fuel, the power to actually cause the world to believe in a world religion. So I think that a lot of times what she talks about, the, the chaos that's necessary is sort of a twofold chaos. One that is necessary for people to, to agree to a solid world government, to unify the existing um, system, the fractal system, but then also to, to empower through some sort of paradigm shift, some spiritual chaos, uh, the world religion, because there has to be some great spiritual chaos in order to get everybody in the world on board with a new religion, especially a religion that is focused on one particular man. There has to be major, something major, and, uh, and uh, there are various theories about how that can happen. 
You say, what is the most obvious proof that the theosophical philosophy is behind the New World Order principles, and which organization does it seem most prominent? This is kind of a hard question, because I don't think that there is a single organization or um, that I think the system, the way that Alice Bailey, or rather the, the entity speaking through Alice Bailey, set up this plan, capital P, in her uh, in her writings, is is done in such a way to make it have no center, no traceable head. It is a belief system that works um, kind of a lot of the same way that a Manchurian candidate works. People believe and are, are true believers of her work, and when they connect to the hierarchy, which are these spiritual beings that she was connecting to, that she's telling everybody that that's what you need to do. They're the ones preparing the world for the world teacher, so you have to go out and, and channel them and ask for them. And once they make that connection, then these so-called spiritual hierarchy are then giving more plans, giving more information, and these kinds of things. So so really, she's, she's trying to connect everybody to the spiritual sources, which then to feed the same general information. And they believe it. Uh, so it's it's something that we would be wrong to assume that the people at the Theosophical Society or whatever are like knowing agents of the New World Order. I honestly don't think that. I think that they are people that believe the spiritual beings that they're in contact with. Our war is not with flesh and blood. Our war is with beings that have the ability to deceive people and make them believe stuff and work and be workers for the system that actually builds something that they don't really even quite understand. They may understand sort of a version of what they're doing, but if they really understood what they were doing, I'm convinced that nobody would do it. That's why a big part of um, what we need to do is wake people up to the fact that these beings are deceivers, and you can find various ways to show that they are deceiving. Back to your question, though, what what's the most obvious proof that the theosophical philosophy is behind the New World Order principles? The Theosophical Society is Luciferianism at its at its core. It is openly um, satanic in the case of Blavatsky, certainly Luciferianism in the case of Alice Bailey. They are exalting Lucifer. He is the god of this world, the 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 planetary logos. He is the voice of God in the Bible, according to Alice Bailey. Lucifer is God compared, to, and I think that the New World Order philosophy and how that connects is clearly tied to Luciferianism. The exaltation of Lucifer as God, even if um, the lower levels of globalization in the New World Order only view that in terms of a principle. For example, the ideas of Prometheus and the light bearer and the torch and all these kinds of things that that the Satan that the the Garden of Eden you know thing was a good thing that uh, knowledge was was given to us and uh, by a great and awesome being. Even if they only view it as sort of allegory, that idea is Luciferianism, the exaltation of Lucifer in the Bible as a good thing, even if they don't completely view him as God. So Luciferianism is um, the core of theosophical philosophy, and it's also the core of the New World Order, which again makes perfect sense to the overall thesis here that what they're doing is building up a, a, a platform to worship him. Okay, the next question is about love. You say, it seems that some of the New Age movement is predicated on the concept of love. Uh, this is promoted in various ways, such as the universe is consciousness and emanates love. We are love. All there is is love and light, etc. 
how does that love, how does the love that Jesus Christ taught, that Jesus Christ taught, different from the love that the New Agers speak of? Well, in terms of the love of God, I think it's a personal love. They, they are actually loved by God, that God knows who they are, and God knows what they've been through, and that God personally loves them. It says that God does not desire for anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance, and that he is working in everybody's life to try to get them to be reconciled to him, to try to, to, to lead them to him. He never stops doing that. The whole... The whole purpose is that he personally loves him, as opposed to sort of generalizing that, which takes that completely out and say, oh, well, yes, everything is love. That sounds good, and it sounds like something that sort of is palatable, but ultimately it has no real meaning or, or, or real power. Um, the difference between the, the type of human love that we can have for one another and for God is different in the Bible in that it's not something that that kind of love is not something that we can do on our own. Loving our enemies, praying for those that persecute us and, and hurt us and despitefully use us, that is a very difficult thing to do. It's an unconditional love. Um, Christ says that that's how people are going to know whether or not uh, we're his disciples. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your, your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. It's a very sacrificial love, uh, a love for uh, people. And he says that, that, that unless you abide in him, you can do nothing. There's no, there's no regeneration of the ability to do that. The interesting thing about true Christianity is that it's impossible to do by natural man. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just start loving people unconditionally. You can kind of fake it, and you can, and a lot of people do, but the difference is, the, the reason Christ gave that as the one thing, hey, you can tell who's a real Christian by whether or not they're radically loving people, is because uh, that's he didn't tell them, you're going to know Christians by the way they dress, you're going to know Christians by the, what they say, or you're going to know Christians by any other way, except you're going to know them by their love for one another. So... So what I'm trying to say is that that's a supernatural thing, and that happened definitely in my life uh, after I was saved. I mean, I was, you know, a good person. I people would have said, "Hey, you know, he was a really good guy, a, a loving guy." But in my heart, I, I I was selfish. I was very self-centered. I had a lot of issues that was just completely not genuine. But as as I began this this road, I noticed something very different happening, that I was being turned into a new creature, something that I wasn't doing on my own. It wasn't based on my, you know, praying enough or reading the Bible enough or meditating enough or all the other things that people in the world think that they've got to do to get closer to God. It was, it was something that God was doing to me. I was starting to love the things of God and hate the things of the world. And I know that Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 is true, that salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I mean, I can't boast in that love. I can't say, hey, look at me. I did really good, and now I love people. I did enough stuff. The, the love that I have for people, the love that I have for the people that I reach out to is not my love. It's the love of God um, in me that is reaching out to him, that compels me and every other Christian to desire to see other people to understand the love of God. 
it's not out of religious obligation or anything else. It's out of absolute um, passion. I've heard the New Age argument that they're not de-deifying Jesus, but rather that Jesus is one of many deity figures who have helped humanity evolve in love and spirituality. What do you have to say to those in the New Age who promote these kinds of ideas, and, and what is it about Jesus that without question qualifies him as the unique Son of God? And the answer to that is the Bible. Um, you'll find that as many people that say that Jesus wasn't really you know, who he said he was, he wasn't all this stuff... It, it's it's predicated on the idea that the Bible, you know, isn't an accurate description of what really happened. That always has to go in tandem with that, because anybody that's read the Bible and understands the Bible uh, can make clear cases that Jesus did, in fact, know exactly what he was doing and exactly what he was saying. That's why the Muslims uh, have to say that the Bible is corrupted. And so the first thing I would ask people is, what do you know? What proof do you have that the Bible was corrupted? Because as I've said before, it would be so easy to prove if it was, because there are more copies for the Bible, the New Testament, that there are for any ancient te text in the history of the world, you know, bar none. And they are extremely scrutinized by people that both hate the Bible and people that love the Bible. So if the Bible had been changed, all the Muslim or anybody else would have to do is to say, you know, here's where the Bible said one thing, and then here these other ones say a completely different thing. All the ones after this said something different about um, what Jesus said on a particular issue about his deity or whatever else. But nobody can prove it. And the problem is, is that it would be so easy to prove because we have uh, documents going back from the very beginning to now. Um, so anyway... The, the question, what I would say based on that is, is, is lots of things interbiblically. Jesus never came out and said, hey, guess what, guys, I'm God. But he didn't do it for a specific reason. Now, he did actually end up doing that, and that's why they killed him for blasphemy. You have to realize that that's why they wanted to kill him. Uh, a lot of times in the Bible when it says, and after that, the Pharisees seek to kill him. If you read what that was, it was because they realized what he was saying. They, they would say things like when he said he for, could forgive sins, they would say, this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I got to agree with the Pharisees on that. That's absolutely true. If I came to your house and I said, um, hey, you know what? I just showed up. I'm, my name is Chris. I just wanted to let you guys know that I forgive you for that fight you had this morning, you know, or whatever. I forgive you for being mean to your your cousin or your brother. And you would look at me and be like, uh, who are you and what does this concern you? You're acting as if my shortcomings are somehow affecting you. That's crazy. You can't forgive me of my sins. And so that is a big part of, of that. And he said that quite often. He said that in many different contexts. And, and the, the Pharisees do say to us, um, you know, who can do that but God alone? And so they would seek to kill him and things like that. They would also seek to kill him uh, because he said that he was uh, the son of God. There's actually places where they said, okay, you're saying that that's your father and that you're the son of God. Um, how How is that not blasphemy, they would say? You're making yourself equal with God. And this is a really well understood concept in, in Hebrew. If you call yourself the son of something, you are the embodiment of that thing. Um, begat of something, if you are begotten of something, you are that thing. For instance, uh, a, a cat begats another cat. If if I have a child, that child is just as much a human as I am. We're equally the same amounts of hu human. And so for that reason, 
if God begets a son, it's just as much God. It's not any less than God. So that that was a massive claim to say that that uh, the in the especially in the context in which he said it, you know, he claimed to be before time the Son of God. He was the creator of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. His many I am statements are another uh, unbelievably blasphemous thing to say. He he was claiming by proxy, the, and the Pharisees, trust me, were well aware of what he was saying. He was claiming to be the voice of the burning bush. Another thing, if you understand Daniel 7, he was claiming to be the cloud rider uh, of Daniel 7. They knew that, and I believe it's John 8, they knew exactly what he was saying, and, and, and it, it, it messed with their heads. Um, so there's many different things like that. Another big one is that uh, he allowed himself to be worshipped on several occasions. You know, there is several occasions where the the apostles would refuse to be worshipped. Angels on several occasions said, hey, don't worship me. I'm just a messenger of God. But Jesus, on a number of occasions, allowed people to worship him. That is either a completely blasphemous act or he was doing what everybody knew that he was doing. He was claiming to be God every day of his life, everywhere that he went, and the Pharisees knew it. That's one of the reasons they felt justified in, in killing him. So if you're reading the Bible and you're reading this, you're reading this the whole time. Um, he claimed that he was going to come at the end of time and judge the world. Who can judge but God alone? Who's worthy to judge um, but God alone? The, the the issue there is really culminates in the cross, and what happened in the cross was an act that would only make sense if God himself was on the cross. Um, in one sense, the, the the very fact that he knew what he was doing, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and that whole concept of the gospel um, really makes sense in that context. So, so when people say that Jesus wasn't claiming to be God, they have to say that the Bible is inaccurate and all those things are not true because Jesus claimed to be God all the time. How can we know for sure that what the Bible exposes through prophecy as a one-world government and a one-world religion is in the end times, in other words, the great deception, is in fact the golden age that the new age talks about? Along the same lines, what is the difference between the golden age told of in the Bible and the golden age mentioned by the new age? Yeah, this is something a lot of people will say. They'll say that the new world order is, you know, they created the book of Revelation to make it look like they are going to be the, the ones at the end to save the day and everything. And that explanation only works if you think that the Bible only describes, you know, Armageddon and then, you know, the time of peace. But the Bible actually describes before Armageddon and a time of peace, a false peace that essentially is going to promote to be the end times, uh, followed by, um, you know, the actual destruction of that system and then the actual peace. So the Bible is forewarning us of a, a counterfeit system. That's not something that you hear about in the New Age. The New Age doesn't say, okay, there's going to be a counterfeit system and that's going to be that and then we're going to have the real thing. What they're saying is, you know, there's a coming time of peace, but before the time of peace comes, there must come a destruction. They're anticipating that you don't know that the Bible actually um, says to, to watch out for that false peace. So that's why I think Christians are adequately forewarned about this stuff if they really understand uh, biblical prophecy. The other issue about that is is many of the religions of the world anticipate a rider on the white horse 
for example, the Hadiths in um, in Islam, uh, they expect the Imam Mahdi and Isa. Now, that's a terrible combination if you think about it, because they're essentially saying a world um, political leader and a false prophet are about to show up and to embrace them, where the Bible specifically says there is going to become a, a, an antichrist and a false prophet that whatever you do, don't embrace them. They're going to look good, act good, seem good, but whatever you do, don't embrace them. That That is a really critical thing to understand, that the Bible gives forewarning of a false system. And finally, what do you believe is the solution to the new world order? Can it be stopped? Well, I think that when defining the new world order, it's, you know, when we're talking about the nuts and bolts of the system and this political stuff that's building up and all this stuff, I think that it is absolutely crucial that we do what we can to be salt. You know, Christians are supposed to be salt and light. What that means is they are preventing the inevitable decay of this world, and we should be absolutely diligent of that. The world is decaying, but we should be salt. We should be preventing that decay. We should be the ones that are the activists. We should be the ones that are indignant of the injustices. We should be the ones that are ones that are organizing uh, this stuff, getting the fluoride out of the water, doing all that stuff, especially on a local level. Doing everything that you can is very, very important. Uh, and all this stuff because lives depend on it um, and and it's really really important but as far as preventing the antichrist's arrival and subsequent reign i think that's without uh, not something that we can technically do anything about i think there's lots of stuff for us to do within that context there is a ton of jobs and things that we must accomplish through that in that course of as I mentioned, being salt and light. But as far as the prevention of his his kingdom itself, that's something that he has been working on since uh, since a long time, since Genesis 3.15. So, um, no, I don't think that we can prevent that, but I think that there are many victories that we have within that context. The ultimate victory in the Bible is quite dramatic. It is a very... Uh, uplifting situation in the Bible. Their system is, even as evil it is, as it is, is going to serve um, the purpose of God. I heard one person always describe it as that the lamb always runs circles around the dragon, and everything that Satan does, he means for evil. God works for good. Even uh, the system that's coming, as bad as it is, um, there will be justice done. That's what we can hope for. Justice is coming. Justice is coming even in the wrath of God on this system, on the New World Order system. We can't adequately judge and punish this system for all the evil that it's done. But there is one coming that can. All right, so his website is facelikethesun.wordpress.com, and he's also a blogger on the Revelations Radio Network. So if you've seen on the right side of the Revelations Radio Network website are blogs, and he's often on there blogging about one of the things his recent uh, projects are called the Age of Deceit Video Project. And so he's got like three different video projects about certain subjects. And I would encourage you to go to his YouTube page and subscribe. One of the other cool videos he did was about the ghost hunting thing. I mentioned that before on a podcast, and he, and he did a really excellent, very well uh, done video about uh, ghost hunting. 
So check out his YouTube page. Go subscribe. It's youtube.com slash face like the sun. And I think you will be pleasantly surprised at all the good work that he's doing over there. All right. So moving on, you know, it's, it's actually, gl- I'm, I'm glad that I had something sort of conspiratorial to talk about and, and, and play, even if it was just playing a clip, because I think, you know, this show really started with just straight conspiracy theories. I mean, you can go back to the early episode episodes and it's just me talking about conspiracy stuff. That's what this show was supposed to be about. And you can kind of see the development over time where my focus sort of changes and I'm really just, you know, just all out thinking about the Bible and things about, about the Lord, you know, and, and it just really, my, my focus changed. And I, there was sort of a, a, a time period there where it was really kind of shifting. And I remember I used to sort of apologize about it. It's like, Hey, this one is probably not for the conspiracy people. This one is kind of more just for the Bible people. And now I'm sort of just like, you know, whatever, whatever is happening is happening. Um, I kind of think of it in my head is kind of like, well, if somebody finds the stuff on YouTube or whatever, and they find the podcast as a result of that. And here I am, you know, talking about verse by verse Bible teaching or, or whatever it is that I'm doing, then I think that in a way it's kind of like, you know, I mean, they can see what I think is the natural progression that we should all be. Now, I can't expect anybody to go from where, do, do the transition that I did immediately. I mean, I would expect them to have the same kind of transition, but that's the natural place that this goes, is that you go to a place where if the Bible is true, and we really do find that out we've got to find out more about the bible it's got to be something that we study that we understand and the minute that you really understand that there is this inexhaustible record in the bible that you can't get it all it's too big it's too vast then it almost intensifies your search for the 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 truth of the bible and you know it's it's a shame sometimes i think when I know people who kind of never get out of the super intense conspiracy mode. You know, I am a conspiracy theorist and I probably will be forever. Um, I was since I was young. I will always be a conspiracy theorist in my heart. Uh, But there is a difference between, you know, and I've talked about this before, loving conspiracy theory. The only reason that you are, you know, quote unquote Christian is because you found it to be more true than the alternatives. Well, that's fine and good, but if you're if you're but what will happen if you're not really a Christian but you just sort of kind of go there because you like conspiracy theories to be accurate and you're a good researcher, if you don't actually become a Christian, your conspiracy theoriness will take over and you will start to need to find conspiracy theories in orthodox Christianity because ultimately the reason we were hooked into this whole thing in the first place and led down these Luciferian paths in the in the conspiracy movement and the reason why we were vulnerable to David Icke and Jordan Maxwell and Michael Tassarian and, and all these guys and why we, we were being led into this is because there was um, pride in it. There was uh, the ability for us to be smarter than everybody. It was elitism. We wanted to be the super smart people and all the dumb dumbs didn't know. That's the same thing that happens with... Uh, Freemasonry, it's or the occult. I mean, the occult is 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 all about that. The New Age always has information about you know 
what's in, in the water or, or pesticides in the food because you need to give them something that they can know more than other people. So that elitism will take over and you don't really like believing the same sort of things that all the Christians who read the Bible all the time and sort of really understand the Bible and really understand doctrine. Eventually that won't be enough for you because there's no elitism in that because there's more people that believe that. So you must find conspiracies in the Bible and all of a sudden, you know, whatever it is, uh, generally, it, it, it morphs into a severe form of legalism. Um, conspiracy, love, plus um, the Bible equals legalism. And it has to. Um, that's a nice little equation there. But the reason it has to is because if you don't experience the transformation of your heart, if you don't know anything of that, then you think that silliness and foolishness to you you don't you believe that you are a christian because you've intellectually decided that it was the truth and so hey i'm a christian i decided that it was the truth um but you know nothing of the regeneration of your heart then you will think it's foolishness for somebody to say no no you, you, god changes what you want the reason that that there is no legalism is because you all of a sudden desire the things of the Lord and you begin to hate the things of the world and the things of sin and sin starts to detest you more and more to, to every day as opposed to your love for sin growing more every day and your your resistance is only intellectual like well I can't do that because I'm a Christian darn it you know well that that's that's missing the point and those people need legalism you know, it's the it's their only hope. They ha that's what they hang on and say, "Look, I'm doing all the right things. I might, you know." And they they nothing, know nothing of the uh, of the newness, the being born again. Anyway, little sermonette, Christian conspiracy sermonette. There. If you want to know more about the gospel and what being born again is about, check out the website which is nowheretorunradio.com. There's a new section on there about the gospel where there's a few videos that detail what the gospel is. And I'm working on a new um, video about the gospel, which I'll talk about a little later. But there's also a section on there for new believers, new Christians. If you click that, there's all kinds of different uh, information and, 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 and MP3s and all kinds of stuff that you can check out. And there is also a link on the website for the new... Um, Christian 101 DVD, four gigs of information, audio, video, text on a DVD that I will send to you for free. Uh, thanks to all the people that ordered them. I just sent out a ton of those all over the world. Amazing different places. I had no idea there were that many places to send them, except for Canada. Um, I'm sorry, Canadians. I can't send you anything right now because of the postal strike, apparently. I don't know what's going on, but as soon as that's over, I will send those out too. Um, but anybody else out there that wants any of that, please check that out. And one thing, I think I may update that because of a project that I'm about to talk about on the RRN Weekly site, which is a thing I started not too long ago, basically just to put testimonies and cool sermons that I've been listening to and, and put them on the Revelations Radio Network feed. Basically just a way to put stuff on the Revelations Radio Network without necessarily running it through Nowhere to Run. That's pretty much what it is. And I started a series today that I am taking directly from Joe Foch's uh, site. He's a he's a uh, the the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Philly. Probably one of my new favorite verse by verse teachers. He is so amazing. I got to put him on a lot of the uh, 
um, the links where I put my favorite verse-by-verse teachers. But Calvary Chapel Philly, check it out. Check out the archives there if you're into verse-by-verse stuff. You will love this guy. He's great. Um, But he's got a section on that website, which is um, sermons that every Christian must hear. And he's got about 20 or so sermons there. So I'm going to start just playing those on the Revelations Radio Network feed. And the one that I just put up there was a testimony of Corey Ten Boom. And I, if you haven't heard her testimony, you need to hear this one. Even if you had, have heard Corey Ten Boom's testimony, I recommend you hearing this particular one. And I'll put it in the links to the show notes here, but I would also encourage you, you can, you can just check it out by going to the front page of Revelations Radio Network or subscribing to the feed or just subscribing to the RRN Weekly feed. So check that out. Check out Joe Fosht, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Also a really good thing. Let me tell you a real quick thing that he said that was kind of funny um, the other day. He was talking about heaven and how possibly we could know what people, you know, what people, who people were. And he was like talking about he would meet Charles Spurgeon and say, "Hey, you're Charles Spurgeon," and and Charles Spurgeon would say to him, "Hey, you're Joe. You're the guy that stole all my sermons." And uh, he told this real quick. Uh, poem that apparently was circulating at the time that Charles Spurgeon was alive, and he said it went something like this. There once was a a man named Spurgey who was disliked by most of the clergy, but his sermons were fine, and I preached them as mine, and so did the rest of the clergy. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Okay, so a few different things I wanted wanted to talk about. David Icke debunked. I want to pray real quick for David Icke debunked. I want anybody that's listening that feels... Uh, like they would like to do that to pray with me. I don't even know what I'm going to pray. Just sort of ask the Lord to to lead it. But but main, mainly the thing that I'm, that I'm asking here is for doors to be opened with it. Uh, that that movie has almost got a hundred thousand views, which is really great. But it still it isn't what I think it could be. It's still being censored, and the David Icke forums and a lot of the people there. I would love to be able to get a chance to discuss it. Um, and there's just opportunities, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody could put it on their blog or something, you know, some big name or something like that to, to get it out there. I don't know, whatever doorways it can be opened for it to get out there. And it, not because any, I don't want any of the recognition or anything like that. This isn't, I don't get anything out of that, but I do, uh, I have noticed that that film has been the most successful film that I, I've ever done of getting people from hardcore new ageism i mean to to freedom from new ageism i mean it's it's like the the most uh success i've ever seen so so i would like to pray for that to that god would find ways and doors to open up for that um to be seen by the people that need it so let me just pray real quick if you feel led to join in i'm just going to pray really really quickly lord thank you for uh everything that you've done in my life thank you for giving me new life um, we come to you today and ask you about David Icke debunked the movie, and we just pray first that you're you would go with it as with the people that see it, that you would be strongly um, with them as they're watching it. Help them to stay through the movie. It's a long movie, Lord, and uh, I also just pray that you would you would speak to them about the the issues that they may be um, needing to hear there, and Lord, that you would open up doors for that movie to get past the the barriers there at david ike um david ike's website or um any of the places that people need to hear it lord i pray that all the people that that need to hear that that video 
or or whatever that that it would get out to them specifically that you would open up doors that you would destroy strongholds lord in the name of jesus if there's anything at all spiritual or or physical that's that's blocking it that's uh that's doing anything like that we just pray that you would destroy that stuff and and let it uh let it go out there to help those people that need it thank you lord for for allowing uh us to have the freedom to do this kind of thing and i just pray that you would use this for your glory we just give it to you and ask for your will to be done in Jesus' name amen okay and the last thing that i want to talk about today is something that um i feel like could easily be what i do for uh the foreseeable future and it is kind of like the DVD Tract website. DVD Tract is essentially a thing that was made to put gospel presentations and with an emphasis on gospel presentations and explanations uh, for cult members, people that are involved in cults or other sorts of people groups. Um, we have things for um, you know Muslims, Mormons, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, things like that. Now, the issue there is that they are pretty good, but they're not really that good. The focus about all this stuff, it, the philosophy, rather, is that if you put the best that you have on something like that in a video track, and the reason why the philosophy about video track is that it's something that it's kind of countering the attack on society now that nobody wants to talk to anybody else on the streets or anything. It's sort of repulsive, even if they were just talking about something, you know, normal. Um, but DVDs are a way for people to take this to their home and to sit and to, to, uh, um, you know, soak it in with just them and their, their house. It also has the ability to, in the, in terms of cults, uh, since, since trying to explain to a cult, person all the stuff that they need to know is rather complicated so when you're talking to a jehovah's witness you need to know a lot of stuff that's not commonly known um and you can train you know evangelists and christians to know all that stuff but it's just more effective to put it on a dvd in my opinion but the the whole philosophy is to find the best and that's something that i think that have failed in in dvd track i think that i i did find as far as a lot of the testimonies on there specifically like the mormon testimonies and the homosexual testimony only had one, but it was the best that I could find. I've recently found one more, and I'm look, always looking for more. But the best, not just the best testimonies, but also in combination with the testimonies, I think I'm going to start putting some of the documentaries and things. I, I can fit a lot more on a DVD um, if I bring down the quality a little bit. And in addition to that, I want to find much better gospel presentations. The what The gospel presentation I had is okay, but it's not the best, and I feel like... Um, we could do a lot better with that. Not only was it not the best, the the aspect ratio was all messed up on it, and it's really small on people's screens. And there's just a lot of problems that I would totally fix if I were to redo it. So I'm I'm basically going to scrap everything. But it's more than just scrapping it and renewing it. Um, the the goal here is to to really do a good job and get complete you know, have it be totally legit, totally permission from everybody and really well packaged and, and even getting sort of like a display. And here's the issue. I was, I was really pumped up about this and I'm thinking, okay, revival among the cults. How are we going to get these DVDs to them? And so I actually met with the, the assistant pastor and we just to brainstorm about this kind of stuff. 
And he kept saying something. He was like, you know, because I was like, well, okay, so we just go and we put them on, you know, people's, you know, cars. And when they're in the parking lot, you know, the, the, the Catholic churches, you know, when everybody's there, just go put it all on everybody's car. And he was like, yeah, you know, but that's sort of illegal. I mean, if it's private property and, and you know, if somebody came to our parking lot, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses came to our parking lot or somebody like that and, and put DVDs on our car that were promoting Jehovah's Witnesses-ism, we would say, you know, get out of here, you know. And he had a good point. And one part of me was like, you know, so what? You know, what's people getting thrown in jail all over the world? We'll just do that anyway. But at the same time, it's not really something you can reproduce. And that's kind of where I'm going with this, is how can we get this to happen on a massive scale um, that can be reproduced not just in our church, but can be uh, appealed to by by people that are in charge of outreach in other churches. So the twofold Manifold, I guess, plan here is to first find and produce a better, uh, or I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to know the best presentations of the gospel out there. I need to have like some kind of contest or something. Um, maybe on Facebook. That's probably where I'm just going to talk about, you know, from now on presentations of the gospel. Anybody? Let's, let's, let's see them. Um, so yeah, let's just do that. Facebook right now is, is, presentations of the gospel if you know any video presentations of the gospel i want to see them i want to see the best of the best out there please just start putting them out there if you know anything that is helpful or whatever let's just start putting them on my facebook page um and anyway so that's part of it finding the good information and you know something happened the other day where i was we have this my dad was over for father's day and we were um we were playing this little game, I guess you could call it, where it's like conversation starters kind of thing. And one of those things was, if you could start any business, what would it be? And I wasn't really thinking. I was, you know, everybody was answering their their things. And when it came to me, I, I just was trying to think of something. And I said, I would start a media company to, you know, search out this kind of stuff, like really good information and, and would, you know, just operate full time. And, you know, Connie was like, well, you kind of do that anyway. I was like, yeah, but I, I, I don't really do it full time. I don't have enough... Um, you know, I just don't don't have enough hours in the day to, to devote to it the kind of way that I would want. I would want to, you know, have people that are out there uh, either producing the content, finding the content, and then anyway, it, I'm not I really. I don't really want to start a company here. I don't want. It's not anything for profit at all. But um, I do think good finding good people is a part of this. But I know I'm all over the board. I'm trying to get to certain explanations of what I'm talking about first. So let's just say there was some kind of display that you could put in the back of a church. Now, anyway, I never got to the point. Oh, man, you're probably like, come on, Chris, you're getting all over the place and you're not talking about anything. So so we back to the talking with the pastor. And he was right. We couldn't put it on the, on the uh, cars and have other churches and other outreach ministers decide to do this. So, And I just was racking my brain about that. I thought, well, mailing campaign, okay? We can somehow get addresses for people that are Mormons or whatever or whomever and send it to them. I was like, man, that doesn't make any sense. How are you going to find the addresses of people, Mormons? You know, are you going to just... And it's true. It's true. I mean, I was like, man, that was my only thought. So I'm I'm thinking, how am I going to get this stack to decrease? And he kept saying, well, you know, the biblical model is that when somebody was saved, they would go out and get, you know, the the people that they knew in their crowd. You know, if you can get just one, you know, Mormon or, or whatever, and he has this disc, he, and he's genuinely, radically transformed, radically saved, 
like every Christian, you know, right after out of the gates, you know, they're going to want to show people and they're going to use that DVD or or not. It really doesn't matter. Uh, but they would be the ones. That, so he said, it's sort of a natural progression of spreading. I'm like, ah, yeah, you don't understand what I'm saying. I'm saying like sledgehammer approach. I want to revival amongst every, you know, everybody. And, and, and then I was the next going to church the, the next Sunday I was praying about that and, you know, being like, Lord, you got to really you got to really tell me you're the Lord of the harvest here. You know, you know where, where you're going to send the workers and stuff like that. You've got to explain to me how this is supposed to work. And then I actually, when I saw uh, that same pastor before uh, the, the, the church service there, I, I asked him, you know, about this again. And he brought that, that up again. I'm like, ah, you just don't get it, man. Anyway, so during the church service, it did hit me. And this is what the idea was. Um, that the people in the congregation know the co-workers that are that are catholic or you know whomever whatever kind of situation or seventh day adventists or or all these different things they know the people they talk to them but they don't know how to witness to a mormon i mean it's you know it's obviously the gospel is really the power of salvation it is actually good news for a lot of these people that's another thing that that the gospel is good news uh, one thing that I heard recently that if, if if the gospel doesn't sound like good news to you, you didn't really hear the gospel. But for people that are just burdened, like Muslims or anybody in the in the works based religion, totally tired, for them the gospel is great news. Um, but the congregation individually know the individuals, and they're the ones that. And, and, and this was confirmed after the service where I talked to this wonderful lady named Joyce and I always love talking to her she's always got you know people on her minds and people groups on her minds and she's just really passionate about everything and um, she she works in people's houses and there's this particular Jehovah's Witness lady that she said you know she's been working with for a long time and and she just loves her you know she she does stuff for her because she's really really in pain and, and really really sick and she will like spend some of her, you know, money that she was going to give to the church and buy this lady food and stuff. And the lady is just unbelievably impressed with the love that Joyce has shown to her. And but Joyce doesn't know how to talk to her about. I mean, she could talk to her about the gospel, but there's all this Jehovah's Witness baggage. And if Joyce had a DVD that she could be like, here, watch this, you know, then that stat goes down in that same natural way. But the thing, the, the sledgehammer thing comes in taking that display of, you know, a little glossy sign that says four Mormons or whatever and, you know, some burned DVDs there, taking that display and reproducing it and going to another church down the road and saying, can I talk to your outreach minister? Here's this thing, you know, I'm sure you guys know how to burn DVDs or whatever. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I, I wouldn't want to burn the DVDs for people, but get them started with, you know, whatever, 10 DVDs per category and say, you know, from here on out, you're on your own, but this is, this is, you know, an option for you guys to deal with cults. And, uh, obviously we just have one for the gospel as well, but I think it's a tool that you could reproduce and get to more and more churches over and over and over again. So that was kind of the point of that whole thing is that I think that that could be something that I could really devote some time to. And I've been thinking a lot about different things that I was going to do. One of them was commentary on the book of Revelation, and I was going to do all kinds of stuff with various projects that I, that I had going on. But I think that part of one of the issues that I'm having now is that I'm, I'm spending so much time with emails per day that I can't really 
it's almost getting to the point where I can't really work on anything. Like I, I've got a month left to get these, these, this project done for the, for the uh, upcoming conference. I have, I may be halfway through with my first presentation. I haven't even started with the, with the second one yet. And I, every day goes by and I don't have enough time. Um, so it's like, I, it's not just the emails. It's all the other stuff. It's like my workload is just, just completely doubled and I'm trying not to work whatever. I'm trying not to work till forever. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I think it's important though. I, I think that it's good. I'm glad that I'm busy in one sense because I'm glad that I have the opportunity to, to do this full time. Um, that in itself is a miracle. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, when the flood happened back almost uh, a year ago in May, I think it was, <clears throat> then, you know, my, my employment washed away and I felt like that's was a good thing that I needed to just continue to do this full time. It was getting too hard for me to work a job and do this at the same time anyway. And the Lord immediately sort of allowed it to happen. Like um, all of a sudden donations came in uh, just enough to make it work every month. I mean, there were some months where it didn't and, but, but Connie was supportive and saying, look, even if, and I kept saying, look, some months it's probably not going to work or whatever, but um, you know, and if it doesn't work over certain months, I'll just go back to work. And she kept saying, look, if it doesn't work, don't get freaked out or don't abandon it. Let's just, let's, you know, she basically was really supportive. And, and that's the key. Uh, wives, if you've got husbands that are thinking about doing something like this or whatever, or, or going full time in the ministry, your support is really crucial. He needs to know that it's cool if it doesn't work at first or in the, and then it's hard or whatever. Um, or that if it, you know, the worst case scenario is something that you're cool with. Cause that's what the worst thing in a man's mind is like, well, what if, you know, this happens? And, and once you sort of deal with the worst case scenario financially and say, okay, well, that's, that's okay. If that happens, then it like is total freedom for, for that. But the Lord has been totally faithful with all that stuff. And every month it works and I have no idea how, so it's all good with that. But, um, we're, we're actually with, uh, we're thinking about doing something else. Uh, Connie and I both, um, through the church, and I think I mentioned this briefly, is disaster relief stuff. Um, they asked us at the church to look into that, and they knew we were sort of talking about it a lot. And so they were like, well, what do you, you know, what can you look into what it would take or what would it look like if we set something up to where we did disaster relief as a church for the various things that are happening? So we just interviewed people. Uh, Connie did all the interviews for Samaritan's Purse and a few different Calvary chapels that that have uh, ministries like that to disaster relief. There's basically two options. One that we would do it ourselves. Um, that is have the, the materials and everything and go and the chainsaws and all the stuff. And when disaster strikes, we go out and help people. And the other is that we just organize uh, the teams to, to go to work with Samaritan's purse or with the Calvary chapel uh, people in Sarasota and some others that are already doing it. And we think, for lots of reasons, it's better to go ahead and 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 uh, work with people. So during upcoming disasters, you may hear me talking a little bit about that as far as you know opportunities to serve in disaster relief and stuff like that. The plus side of Samaritan's Purse is that they they give you a place to stay. Um, all your stuff is covered there. I mean, you got to you got to pay to get there and everything. But once you're working with them, it's it's really well. They've got all the tools in the world you could ever possibly need, and they're really well organized. The downside with Samaritan's Purse, as far as I can tell, is that um, they go to the big things, 
you know, and that's really great where there's a lot of people are and they're doing great work. But, but a lot of the smaller disasters, um, you know, maybe just 40 or so homes are destroyed. There's nobody there. And so some of the Calvary, the Calvary Chapel in Sarasota and stuff like that, they do work, um, with those people. Um, so anyway, that, that's something that we're also pretty excited about. And I, I, I got this vision. I know God's going to be like, now nah, I'm going to do something completely different with this. But my, my vision is that one day we can somehow do this full time that we could, I mean, we, we, our dream really, if we ever had one was to get, uh, to get an RV and sell everything and just go do disaster relief and go do, um, you know, something like maybe even the DVD track thing, going to different churches and, and saying, you know, here's this thing for you guys. That's sort of the dream. And I, I don't know, I guess I'm telling you guys that to, to sort of say that that a lot of the stuff I do here, I think I can always do that while I'm on the road or whatever. But I just feel more and more that this is something that's got to go down on the ground, too. You know, I want to take evangelism and all the stuff that's been successful online and and take it and do it for real in communities and stuff like that. And I mean it's obviously for real. Real lives are going to change online, just sort of not digital lives or anything, but and 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 a big conviction that I have for that and one of the things that I, I don't know if it's conviction in that I don't know if it's from from the Lord or from my flesh, but part of it this is that I've seen a lot of fruit in the ministry that I've done to new age to in the new age. And the stuff that I do about conspiracy stuff is really what I hear the fruit about. I mean, that's where people are saying, hey, you know, I saw this, I was saved, and, and that, all that stuff. And I haven't seen hardly anything, anybody say, well, hey, I saw a DVD tract or, you know, I was a former this. I've never seen anybody say anything about that. And I've never, and uh, maybe maybe something or other, yeah, I've, I mean, I've used it certainly in terms of, uh, you know, my own personal evangelism kind of things, but it's kind of like, do I is moving away from that a good idea? And I know a lot of you are going to say, yeah, a lot of you would say no. But the bottom line is that I don't really have the same kind of passion or heart to do that, that stuff anymore. But that's why I think it's great that, that are people like, um, you know, Ghani there. Uh, we mentioned facelikethesun.wordpress.com. Paul Flynn and, and others are are being raised up to do the same kind of work. To me... I would rather um, fade away in, in terms of that stuff, you know. I would rather, you know, let the new generation of that stuff take over. I'm glad to have done what I've done. I'm glad the Lord put on my heart all the stuff he did. I feel like I was faithful to do the things that he that He wanted me to do, but I haven't really heard a lot of stuff from him since really the David Icke project to, to, to do a lot of uh, other stuff um, like that. And I, I feel like everything I really wanted to say is out there to a certain extent. Now, people, you know, like uh, they just asked me to do this interview and people still, when they ask me to do interviews is, and conferences and stuff, is usually about that kind of stuff and, and not about the other stuff. And that's fine. I mean, that's that's okay. And I don't mind doing that stuff. But my heart is just going to just, I don't know, stuff like the Bible, the verse by verse stuff. I'm going to do that. Tonight, um, I gotta, I'm actually going to get the opportunity. I'm going to go to the Divinity Library at Vanderbilt University here after I get done with the show and and also meet with uh, another pastor here uh, after that downtown. So 
Um, but I'm excited about doing the verse by verse stuff and, and continuing that with Mike and, and, and everything. So, uh, although I, I'm going to tell you real quick, we were about to do it last Monday, the verse by verse thing. And all my notes from all of the previous verse by verses are all just disappeared. Apparently eSword has a bug where it will, if you have your notes in the, in the topical notes, they're saved that uh, it just disappeared from my hard drive, which is a really bad bug. But anyway, it was okay because it gave me an opportunity to redo that section, which I think is an important section. And maybe I didn't have it right or we needed to do it better. And like I said, I'm going to the divinity library at Vanderbilt. So maybe they'll have some more resources that I wasn't going to use previously. So anyway, I am definitely rambling now and we're right at about an hour or so. So I'm going to call it quits. Let me just make sure there's nothing else on my notes here that I wanted to talk about. So yeah, in review, um, Check out facelikethesun.wordpress.com. Subscribe to his YouTube page, youtube.com slash facelikethesun. Um, remember Joe Foscht, Joe, F-O-C-H-T, and his verse-by-verse there at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Really, really great stuff. And in conjunction with that, the new series on RRN Weekly, particularly the one I just put up, the Corey Ten Boom testimony. Really amazing stuff if you've never heard it. If, you, if you've if you never heard Corey Ten Boom's testimony, go download that right now. Don't, don't even wait till I finish this. Um, David Icke debunked. If you want to continue to pray for that, it certainly would be helpful. Remember, of course, don't love conspiracy more than you love Christ. And the DVD track stuff, I, I think I would like to know if anybody out there, and, and I, don't really want a, I don't really want a lot of responses here. I guess I just, there's only... I want to be able to say, hey, why don't you go just look up everything you can find about, what, go ask people that are ministering to, let's say, Jehovah's Witnesses, what the best movie that they've seen uh, work, or best testimonies video-wise, or audio, we can turn audio into video, but just start researching, taking a few weeks and researching what the best evangelism material for Jehovah's Witnesses, or for any of these other groups is. Um and just sort of a, a few a few people, a few good men is all I really need there, or women. Um, obviously, we need some manner of video experience and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, so if that's you, let me know. Give me an email. And also, in that on that same thing, remember the Facebook new Facebook challenge, uh, gospel presentations. Just start them, keep them coming there on Facebook good presentations, video presentations, or audio. We can turn audio into video. So if there's a great podcast that just explains the gospel, it can be an hour long or it can be five minutes long. doesn't matter. Um, put, put that on the YouTube page. I want to hear it. I want to start searching for the best of the best of the best. There's no sense why we shouldn't have the best because we're sitting in front of the Internet, which has almost uh, unlimited amounts of this kind of stuff. So without any further ado, I will... Sign out, and I'll talk to you all later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.